You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Father, thank you for the word you put on Mike's heart. Thank you for the things that you're revealing to him in your word. And uh, the, uh, just the revelation he's getting of your greatness, Lord, and your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, we pray this morning as he, as he uh, shares your word with us, Lord, that, uh, that there'll be things in there for our growth, our strength, our healing even, Lord, Lord, we come with open ears and open hearts to hear you speak through Mark this morning. And Lord, we just pray that you use his mouth to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Um, can everyone hear me all right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, different about the microphone, so... <laughs> Turn it down a bit. <laughs> I don't have control of this soundboard, so it might be interesting, um, but that's all right. So great to see everyone this morning, um, great to all have you again. As you can probably guess, we're going to continue our series in the attributes of God, and I'm going to, I'm going to start the reason why we're doing it again. I know you I'll probably sound like a broken record saying this, but the, the reason I want to look at God's attributes is so that we can grow in a deeper and a more knowing relationship with God, because after all, we can only worship God to the level of our understanding. The deeper that we are and the deeper we understand God, the deeper we can have a relationship and worship Him. So today we're going to continue the mini-series inside the series of the Omnis of God. Sorry, just got the stand moving on me. Um, so as, as you remember last time, if you were here, if you weren't here, that's alright, we looked at the Omnipresence of God. So the Omnipresence is the first one of the Omnis, as there's three of them. Um, we looked at um, that God is everywhere. God's presence is everywhere. There's no hiding from it. We are fully surrounded by God. He's above us. He's below us. He's around us. He surrounds us. Um, he, we can't hide from an all-present God who is everywhere. We discover that he's in heaven. We discover he's on earth with us. And we discover he's also in hell. He's in places where if you don't know him, you want to be away from him. But there's no possible way from hiding from God. As, as we discovered, um, the word omni means all. So God is all present. And today we're actually going to um, look at the omnipotence of God. What well, means God is all powerful. <coughs> I love it when I go off my notes because I can barely find where I'm up to. But that's alright. <laughs> so the omnipotence of God, He is all powerful. So when, what first comes to mind when you think of omnipotence of God, how he's all-powerful, that God can do anything? It sort of pops, is the first thing that pops in your mind, but the, the reason we're doing this is so we can grow a deeper understanding in the attributes of God. So Ian sent me a really good podcast as I was preparing for this preach that um, set my head spinning, what's probably a good way. It confused the heck out of me because I've never thought of it this way before, but... It also helps unravel what the omnipresent, oh, sorry, not omnipresence, omnipotence of God actually means. So I'm going to pose a question to you guys. Just raise your hand of if you believe it. There's two sides of the question. So who believes God can create a rock so big that God Himself can't lift? All right. So everyone that's on the other side. You're saying that God's not powerful enough to create a rock that he can't lift? 
He's bigger than anyone. Yeah, he's he more powerful than he is. He is. You're not talking um, infinitely. You're kind of talking in our terms. Thanks, Geraldine. Can or can't. It's just not even a word for God. Awesome. You guys are already switched on, so it's great. <laughs> I mean, it's, oh, <laughs> I might sit down now yeah. and we'll just go straight to lunch. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> that makes my job a lot easier. So it's good. So I've heard a lot of these sort of catch-22 questions of, of discussions I've had with Christians that, that don't understand the omnipotent... Oh. <laughs> yeah, thank you, omnipotence. So sort of tongue-tied myself now as well. It's even better. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of, there are a lot of Christians, a lot of people that aren't Christians, love to pose these sort of questions to catch you out. <clears throat> They love to, they know that God's all-powerful, but yet there's plenty of these questions that's a catch-22 that can catch you out of, well, if you believe one thing, then saying this is the exact same. So what does that mean? So the only way we can really discover what the omnipotence of God is, is if we hit the Word. And as we know, the Word is all-powerful, it's true, it's unchanging, as we've looked at the other ones. So it's a pretty reliable source to get where we're going to. So we'll jump into some scriptures. Um, you're just going to bear with me today because I don't have the back screen, so I can't just read them really, really quickly. So, what's good? So our, our first scripture we're going to look at, as God is all powerful, is in Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah 32, 17. I actually love this old school preaching. Everyone's going to get their Bibles out. It's great. <laughs> So just just bear with me because the start we've got a lot of scriptures with just a few single verses we're looking at to start off with, but we will get into some deeper word a bit later on. So Jeremiah thirty two seventeen says, Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Then again, if we go to Jeremiah 30, same 32, but we go to verse 27. What well, says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So then, if you keep reading the next couple of verses of 28 and 29, we can see the power of God at work here. It says, Therefore, if thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving the city into the hands of the Caledonians, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Um, so we can see that, that God has the power to give, in, to give cities, to be on people's sides and be against people. Um, so our next scripture will be Psalm 115.3. Give people a moment to get that. <laughs> What well, says, our God is in heaven. He does as he pleases. Then in Matthew nineteen twenty six, I'm just, just testing you guys with the actual Bibles to make sure you still remember where each, each book is in the Bible. Um, so Matthew 26, what well, says, but Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
And then if we go to Revelation 19.6. Revelation 19.6. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like a sound of mighty pearl and thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Sorry, what was that? Uh, that was Revelation 19, 6. So, just from these few scriptures with these few verses, we can see that the Bible clearly states that God is all-powerful. He can do what He wants. He can do what He, um, what, it, what He seems like, whatever He wants it makes it seem. But we're going to actually dive into the scripture more to grab a deeper understanding that God is actually limited in his power. In a way. Sorry. He's not... It's going to be a bit confusing because we're going to fire through some scriptures and then I'm just going to all unpack it at the end. Um, so we just need to dive into a few more scriptures to see God working his power. So if we go to 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13... says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live in him. If we endure, we also reign in him. If we deny him, he also denies us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And this next bit is the, um, the important part we've got to grasp is, but he can't deny himself. We go to James 1.3. says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast story. That's 1.13, I went to say. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. But God can't be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And Hebrews 13.20. Sorry, Hebrews 6.13-20. Thirteen to twenty. <clears throat> what says? But when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, "Surely I'll bless you and multiply you." And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all the dispute. Disputes and oath is finally confirmed. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that so by two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtains, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become high priest forever after the ordinations of this. Alright, so from these two scriptures we can see that, one, it's impossible for God to lie, and purpose, his purpose never changes, he is holy. 
The last scripture states that God can't deny himself. He can't deny his existence. He can't deny that he is God. And in Hebrews, that it is impossible for God to lie and his purpose uh, unchanging, what brings us to the realisation, God is all-powerful, but he can't go against his character in power. As I said before, it's hard to separate some characteristics of God without having another one. But in this case... God's character, all God's characteristics are in place when it comes to the omnipotence of God. God can't will anything evil. He can't deny that he is God. His char- he can't go against his own character when he's acting in power. And he can't be tempted in evil. For God is love. He is faithful. He is good. He is truth. He is many things. He is all his characteristics. But he'll never act in power if he brings one of them in, in, if it comes against one of his characteristics and who he is. He is a perfect God that cannot sin. As we look at God's omnipotence, it is vital that we look look at it with God's other characteristics to truly understand the true meaning that God is an all-powerful God. Just on its own, we hear questions on the first one, Catch 22 questions, when we don't have that understanding of who God's character is. And we put together the knowledge that we learned before that God is all these characteristics. He is not one more than he is the other. He is all, all at once. What helps us to understand that God is an all-powerful God. And what he does, he does in his will and does it by acting through who he is. But God only acting inside his character and what he wills is also a great encouragement for us. As God is a never-changing God, as we've been through, we know where we stand with God. We know what he's going to do. We know how he's going to act. We can see God through the word. God will never lie. He'll never cheat. He'll never go against his character to achieve something. God, God's not limited in power. The only thing he's limited to is who he is and by his character. For example, if we see a person in this world that has strong morals, he'll never cheat on his wife, he'll never steal from his boss, he'll never lie. His morals are that strong that he just can't do that stuff. We see that as a um, we see that as a good thing. We hold that high, hold that highly to that person. It's not a it's not a disadvantage to them, but we credit to them for having that that moral. In the same way, God is limited to who he is. But there is no need. God does not need to act outside who he is to be all-powerful. What's encouraging for us, because as we see in this world, that power can be a almost a sinful thing. We see a lot of people abuse, who are in a position of power, abuse that. They cheat, they lie, they, they um, stuff people over to get the best outcome for themselves. But God's not like that. We can't... We can't bribe God, we can't pay to the highest bidder and God will do what you want. God is God and he, is, he can't act outside that character. So saying this, does this mean that God has a weakness, that he can be attacked from outside who he is in a, in a different way? Even though God is limited on acting within himself, he still has more than enough power to achieve, to defeat his enemies and achieve his will. There's, there's quite a few um, illustrations of God's power in the Bible. I'd love to go through all of them, but we'll be here for years and years and years. But so, all we're going to do, the first one I want to look at is if we look at creation, it took God six days 
to create it, and then he rests on the seventh. But the seventh day of rest is more of an example for us. God didn't need to rest. He wasn't drained. He wasn't zapped as he's an unchanging God. His power stays the same. He's always in the position of power. He's never weakened. And the way he created, he formed the earth was he spoke it into being. So here's just a few facts about the earth that's pretty mind-blowing. There is 1.2 million known species of animals on the earth, but scientists reckon there is still 8.7 million species out there. It means we haven't even scratched the surface of the amount of animals that God's created. Um, our planet Earth, when you look at where we are in the solar system, it is perfectly placed for us to survive. Any close to the sun will die of overheating. Any further out will freeze to death. It is perfectly placed. Um, every human being, if you look at them, they are different personalities, different looks, different things. Everyone has a different fingerprint. And when you think of the amount of people on the earth, there's a lot of patterns. Your mind just can't comprehend how that could possibly be possible. Um, so, we are, as creation, we are sustained by the power of God. God's given us the things to survive. Um, the earth's core. In the earth's core, there's enough gold to cover the earth's surface to a depth of 1.5 feet. So everything we can see in God's creation is amazing, but there is so much more stuff that God's created and put there and that we're just never going to see in a lifetime. Just the beauty of it. Uh, the number of water molecules in just 10 regular-sized water drops is equal to the amount of stars in the universe. And that's, that's pretty mind-blowing. Um, the tallest tree is a redwood tree in California. It's 379 feet high. It's twice the height of the Statue of Liberty. Um, I bet that would be some really good wood burning, uh, wood for burning as well for Ian and John, who just bought fireplaces. <laughs> so, um, absolutely, lifetime supply. If you're looking, take it to California and go grab that one. I'm sure it'll be okay. Um, here's another one. Um, the Earth is moving at a rate of 67,000 miles an hour. So an hour ago, you were 67,000 miles that way or that way or whatever way we're travelling at the moment. You've moved that direction. So if you look at creation, you can see that everything has been perfectly placed, perfectly formed, perfectly made and created, and yet God, all he had to do was create it, was speak it into being. All this is perfectly illustrated. Everything is perfectly made, and all God did was speak. I think the power, you can just get an emphasis of God's power just in that, just the view of that. But there's a, there's a few more illustrations as well that we can look at. I suppose um, another one we can look at is we're going to look at the devil here, what might be a bit weird, but that's all right. Um, so if you look at the devil, he's, he's a guy that's rebelled from God. He was one of the high angels with God, and yet the devil knew who God was, and yet he chose to rebel against him. I don't know. If, in the right mind, whether I don't know how he got to that, but his desire to be the God of the earth was greater than um, what he saw in God. So if we go to Job 2, 2 to 6. We might just start from verse 1. Uh, missing out the, the one verse. 
what it says again. There was a day when the sons of God came to be the present uh, came to presence themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along then to to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, "From where have you come?" Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro the earth, and from walking up and down on it." And the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job?" that there is none like him on the earth, blameless, upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although he indicated me against him to to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that man has will give for his life. But stretch out a hand and touch his bones and his flesh, and he will be cursed you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hands, only spares his life. If you keep reading, um, Satan strikes Job with some pretty horrible things in that verse. He, he does through the whole book. But um, Job doesn't deny God. He's always with God. Um, it doesn't, even, these evils, even his wife was telling him to deny God and just die. But Job doesn't. But what we can get from this is, if we look at the devil, he still physically has to seek permission from God to do anything on the earth, to have authority and do stuff to people. God firstly has to give him permission to go out and do something. Um, so the devil is so limited in power, he's rebelled against God, he's gone to be his own God. And how demeaning do you think it must be for him and embarrassing that he can't actually do anything without getting God's approval? He's fallen away from grace for no reason. He still has to go to God to be able to do things. Um... You can imagine his frustration um, of going away, trying to be your own God, trying to rule something, but yet you're still under the authority and the power of God. Um, he has no power against God's elect, as we read in 1 John 5, 18. I'll just skip over that one for now. Sorry. The one thing the Bible does say that the devil has power over, and that is in debt over death. So Hebrews two fourteen. Says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of the death of death, and that is the devil. So if we read that, it actually brings us to the next example and probably the greatest example of God's power, and that's the cross. So the devil's only power he has in death, yet Christ came and defeated that one power. Um, what Hebrews states, oh, I've just said that, sorry. God is powerful that through him we are saved from ourselves. If we look at the greatest act in history, um, so we're going to just skim through Mark 15 and 16 a bit. It's the story of, of Jesus being um, arrested, going through the trial period, dying, and then his resurrection. So the first part of, of Mark 15, he's delivered to Pilate. 
He's been arrested. Um, everyone's he's gone to trial. We, I know we we all know the story, but just for those who are out there um, that might not know it that well, um, the scribes and the leaders of Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem want to see Jesus crucified. They're taking the Pilate. They want want Pilate. To, they release Barabbas, who's a known criminal, and take Jesus. And Pilate sends sends Jesus to be crucified. So we'll read, read from Mark fifteen twenty one. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Syria, a Syrian, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and of Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among, and casting lots for them, decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inspection of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by um, derided him, derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple, rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saves others but can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also remember him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Elo, 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 sorry, <laughs> which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. And some, someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see if Eli- whether Elijah will come and take him down. As Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, at the, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there facing him saw that in this way, and he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among where Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and uh, we might just leave it there for now. Um, and then the, the next part is Jesus is buried by Joseph. Um, and then if we pick up in chapter 16, the resurrection. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Solomon <coughs> bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robes, and they were alarmed. And they said to him, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where he lay. But go tell the disciples of Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. So just reading through that, it's it's God's greatest reveal of power. He sent Christ, Christ came, he died, and he defeated sin and death on that cross. Um, from the word, as we all know the story, but it's an amazing scripture that represents a lot, represents a lot of who God is. Just in that one story about um, Jesus going on the cross, it represents a lot of God's attributes and what he represents. Um, but mainly... Um, I want to focus on his power here and, and what he's done. 
Um, you see how much he loves us in that as well. If you want to listen to a good message about how much he loves us, look back on the podcast that Ian's passed you on, on 3.16. They've been great. Um, but as we can see in that scripture, God, God is acting in power. He's acting in power, but yet he's acting inside his character of who he is. He hasn't gone outwards. He hasn't had to do anything special. God demonstrates his power and authority over sin and death with Jesus dying on that cross. He defeated them. There wasn't at any stage a gamble that Jesus would not defeat death. He knew exactly how it was going to play out. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He demonstrated power over his enemies as well. If you look at the scribes and the authorities in Jerusalem and the people, they all sent Jesus, an innocent man, to death. They all cried out for him to be crucified and to go. And that was in their free will. But yet, through their free will, trying to destroy Jesus, they're working in God's will. There's no need for God to act outside of his character to be able to um, do the will and the plan that he has. How powerful is God that even his enemies, who think they're acting in free will, who think they're doing something against him, are actually acting inside his will and what he's planned. You've got to be pretty powerful for, for that to happen. God is always enough. And through all that, he's defeated sin and death. He's created uh, a world that's unbelievable, full of just amazing things. Through that, he hasn't even broken out in a sweat. <laughs> God is never challenged. He never has a loss of power. If you put it this way for all the Aussies, this might easily understand. If God was an AFL team, he would have won every premiership, every game, without even stepping on the field. <laughs> There's no even point showing up against him because you just can't beat him. Um, so as you can see from those examples, that God's power, even though, even though he can't go against his character, even though he's restricted to inside who he is, he can't sin, he's more than powerful enough to achieve his will and do the plan that he has for, for this world. He is all-powerful. There is nothing that can stand against him. He is abundant in power. Nothing is impossible for God when we are working in the plan, when he's working for us, when we are with him, when he's working the plan that he's called us to live, God is more than enough in that situation. It's not a situation where he's lacking in power. If you go to Isaiah 40, 28, 31. What says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the, of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases in strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. So in this scripture, there's a lot of things we get it. One, God gives us the strength and the power. Um, that we need. Um, young men will grow faint and weary. We, as humans, we, we wear out. When we run out of power, we run out of energy. As we grow older, we don't have the energy or the power or the strength that we once had. If we put it this way, an 80-year-old can't do it what he could do as a 20-year-old, although it's pretty close, because um, I've seen some 80-year-olds do some pretty incredible things. Um, but that's all right. But 
as humans, we don't have the power and the strength to do things on our own will. We need God. We need God to empower us. And that's the good thing about God. Even though he's so many years old, he's been there from the start and he'll be there at the end and he'll be there for eternity, he does not grow old. His power doesn't grow thin. He doesn't wear out. He still has the same energy as a... Um, you know, see how old he is? So what he did when he was first there. <laughs> that God is never in a retirement home. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> uh, he is always infinite in power. He always is unchanging. He is the same today, tomorrow, and the next day. He is who was, who is, and who is to come. Nothing is impossible for God. He defeated sin and death so that we could be restored to being with God as it was meant for in the beginning. As we've seen God's attributes working together, once again we see that through the power of God, not even sin can keep us away from God. Christ came and died on the cross. He was sent to the cross by guys trying to destroy him, and yet in their free decision to kill Jesus, to get rid of him, they actually um, did God's will, and that opened up a way to defeat, defeat the power of sin and death. To him, to him, he belongs glory. There is nothing that can keep us from God. Through his power, he defeated the roadblocks from keeping us away from him. All we need to do is accept him and be born again. And by his power, we are changed. And by his strength, we live out our lives as followers of Christ. He strengthens us to do his will. So, I've got... Once again, my nephew comes up in this. My nephew Henson, he's um, he's a great kid. He's he's seven now. Seven. I'm glad I got that right because I wouldn't have heard the end of that one from Sarah. That's all right. Um, like like I used him in the illustration last time of hide and seek. He also thinks he's the strongest guy around on earth. He he walks around with his muscles pushed out. As soon as you walk in, he try to tap you to the ground. So he thinks he has the strength. He thinks that he's all powerful. But as he soon as discovered when he tries to tackle me, he ends up on the ground. He's not quite there. I'm sure he will be one day. I'm sure the day's coming when I walk through that door and he just pins me on the ground quite quickly, but he's not quite there yet. Um, but that's like us in humans. When we're trying to live out God's will for our lives through our strength, we're physically not able to live that out. We need God to be strengthening us. We need the power of God in our lives to strengthen us to do his will. We can't do it on our own. That'll be the day when I rock up and, and God's with my little, Henson, uh, my little nephew and he pins me on the ground. So, <laughs> um, so, so saying all this, God is all powerful, but yet He still cares for us as well. If we go to Matthew twelve fifteen twenty one. says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. He healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was fulfilled in what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, who with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to, the, 
to the victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. And then Psalm 34, 18. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. The bruised reed he will not break. God in all his power still has compassion and love for us. He is with the brokenhearted. He has mercy for them. He wants you. He could have easily from the start, as soon as Adam and Eve first sinned, he could have completely wiped us out and destroyed us. He could have created, recreated human 2.0, if you like, the better version of us. But he didn't. If we look back on it, through his love, he loves us, and he's created a way through his power, through Christ coming to that cross for us to come to him, to come with that fellowship and have that relationship with him again. He's all-powerful, but yet his love for you never fails. And his power works with that love. And when we look back on it and how he used his, how he's used his power in the history, he's used it so that we can come back to a place of relationship and closeness with him. He's used us to bring us close to him. He doesn't need us, but yet he's chosen to come and save us. There's nothing that we can add to that. It's Christ on his own. God could have used his power to destroy us, but instead he's used it. Christ came, died, defeated the power of sin and death, defeated the only power the devil had, and come to save us. God is mighty to save. He's all-powerful to save. If you haven't received... So once again we come to this point of if you haven't received Christ, be born again. And can I encourage you to seek him with your heart? Check your heart. Make sure you know him. Make sure you're on the right side of him. As he is all-powerful, there's nothing that you could have done that he can't overcome. There's no obstacle too great that's going to limit his power. There's no rock in your life that he can't move. All we need to do is turn to him and allow him to change us. Um, I might just leave it there for today. So we'll just pray. Father, we we thank you, Lord, that you're an all-powerful God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that that you work, Lord, inside yourself, Father, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your character is amazing, Father, Lord, that, that you've blessed us, Father, in all ways, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you've come to die and save us and bridge that gap, Father, Lord. We thank you that we can come to you. Jesus, we thank you that you died on that cross and, and thank you, Father, for that sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus, that you defeated the power of sin and death over our lives and we thank you that we can come to you. Would you bless today and bless this week? In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.